Hello, and welcome to the Summit Church Podcast. Our messages are designed to help teach and equip you on your journey to lead people to follow Christ. We hope that this message will inspire and encourage you, no matter where you are on your journey towards Christ. If you have questions, want to talk, or want to learn more about Summit, visit us at summitniles.com. Thanks for listening. If you take your Bibles with me this morning, and turn to the New Testament, the book of James, chapter 5, verse 13 is our text for this morning. I'm glad that you have joined us here at Summit Church. My name's Dan, one of the pastors here. It's a privilege to share God's Word together. So, if you're here in person in the worship center or you are joining us online, grateful that you were here Glad that we're able to study God's Word together. James chapter 5. If you don't have a Bible, uh, there should be one near you, but would love to have everyone in the Word this morning. So open your Bibles, turn them on, James chapter 5. While you're finding that, let me just share this. Uh, Pastor Caleb is gone this weekend. Uh, He uh, made a trip uh, out to Arizona to be with his mom and dad, his Uh, Father has recently been diagnosed with leukemia, and he uh, had some issues to put him in the hospital, um, had a a knee injury, and that got infected. He needed some special care in the hospital, and it was just right and prudent that uh, Pastor Caleb be there with his parents. And so be praying uh, for them, um, for Pastor Caleb. He'll be back tomorrow, uh, but be praying for them um, in your prayers. This morning we're talking about prayer, and so that's fitting to talk about that. These past several weeks, we have been taking a trip through the book of James. James, the half-brother of Jesus, not someone who really believed in Jesus as, as an early adopter, but he became absolutely convinced when he saw the proof of what Jesus said being verified in the resurrection. By the way, the resurrection of Jesus Christ remains the undisputed fact of history. It cannot be disproven. The evidences are greater than many of the things that you and I take for granted. The fact that Christ rose from the grave. And, And James was a practical kind of guy. It had to work in order for him to to. Uh, to, to buy into it. Uh, a man's kind of a man, we could say. Or a logical, practical thinker, some would call him. Reasoning, uh, a reasonable man, others would say. And there became a point in James's life when the experience was believable beyond any reasonable doubt, and he believed. And more importantly, the proof of who Jesus was, it became an irresistible point of faith and he believed. He believed. Now, what happened next was a changed man. His life was changed. He became a bold proponent of Jesus Christ. He became a faith follower of Jesus Christ. He became a witness of Jesus Christ. And we have been reading through James and working our way through James, but watch watch what's been happening in James chapter 5. James is warning some of the rich people that their wealth will not save them. In fact, 
in, in verse 2 and following, James says this, Your wealth has rotted, moths have eaten your clothes, and your gold and silver are corroded. That's not going to help you when you really need it. He points out that earthly wealth is temporary and it can be self-deceiving. The fact is that everything we own on this earth will one day be consumed like hay, straw, and stubble. It will, it will be consumed by fire. It's all going up in smoke. That, by the way, that's why there's no hitches on hearses. U-Haul trailers don't follow behind funeral coaches because it's temporary. King Solomon said it this way in Ecclesiastes 5. He said, I I've seen a grievous evil under the sun, wealth hoarded to the harm of its owners, or wealth lost through some misfortune. Everyone comes naked from their mother's womb, and as everyone comes, so they depart. They take nothing from their toil that they can carry in their hands. And remember that life is temporary. Psalm 90 says this, you turn people back to dust, saying, return to dust, you mortals. A thousand years in your sight are like a day that has just gone by, or like a watch in the night. You, yet you sweep people away in the sleep of death. They are like the new grass in the morning. In the morning it springs up new, but by evening it's dry and withered. Teach us to number our days so that we may gain a heart of wisdom. James is reminding us mere mortals that our wealth can't save us, that our life is fleeting. The things that we hold on to so dear someday will be consumed. And remember, but in, in this whole idea of being a steward, what you do now matters. You can't take your earthly wealth with you, but you can lay up for yourself treasure in heaven. I love this in Matthew 6. Don't store up treasures here on earth where moths eat them. You know, James, he's heard this before. He's, he's repeating it. He's talking about moths eating them and rust destroying them where thieves break in and steal. An armed robbery in our own city this last week at a gas station in the wee hours of the morning. <laughs> so thieves break in and steal. He goes, wherever your treasure is, there the desires of your heart will also be. And then, remember, James talks to the people who are poor and suffering. We talked about that last week. James look at, looks at the folks who are poor, and he tells them they're really the rich ones. He says, be patient and wait. Do good. You will reap what you sow, and even more than you sow, a harvest. Mark chapter 4 says it this way. When you sow in good soil, you can expect a good return. And the seed that fell on good soil represents those who hear and accept God's Word and produce a harvest of 30, 60, even 100 times as much as has been planted. If you sow good seed into good soil, it will produce more than you could ever imagine. Look, wealth is not a bad thing. But remember, we're called to be good stewards. It reminds you again, how I steward my wealth reveals my spiritual health. Now here comes the segue in today's message, today's, to today's message. James says, here's what you need to know when you face trouble in life. There are times when the stuff of life comes crashing down on us. Scott Peck, in his book, The Life Less Traveled, identifies this truth when he says this, life is hard. Can anyone say amen to that? Life is hard. 
the end of his book, though, he also reminds us of this, that God is good. Life is hard, but God is good. So James is reminding his readers and us today what Jesus said in John 16. He said, I've told you these things so that in me you may have peace. Not in the worldly stuff, but in me you may have peace. In this world you will have trouble, but take heart, I've overcome the world. Trouble is a common denominator. Trouble. T-R-O-U-B-L-E. Somebody ought to write a song. Maybe a country western dude. Pick that one up. But when it comes to life and it comes to trouble, usually you're in one of three categories. One, you're about to experience some trouble. You're in trouble right now. Or you just got through a time where you had some trouble. It's common to life. Mickey Bell is a comedian. I, I, a comedian. I heard him this last Friday. He was with a group of seniors, and we uh, were at a concert. Mickey Bell's a, a comedian, and he was talking about de depression. Um, that's trouble, isn't it? People that deal with depression, he was talking about that. Depression causes trouble. Anyway, um, here's what he said. He said, one of the troubles in life is depression. He said, I wish when it came to depression that you could choose what kind of depression you had. He said, because if that was the case, I would choose tropical. <laughs> Look what it says in James 5, verse 13. What should we do when we're in trouble? James comes through again with some practical advice that really works. Here's what he says. Is anyone among you in trouble? Let them pray. Is anyone happy? Let them sing songs of praise. Is anyone among you sick? Let them call the elders of the church to pray over them and anoint them with oil in the name of the Lord. And the prayer offered in faith will make the sick person well. The Lord will raise them up. If they have sinned, they will be forgiven. Therefore, confess your sins to each other. Pray for each other so that you may be healed. The prayer of a righteous person is powerful and effective. Elijah was a human being, even as we are. He prayed earnestly that it would not rain, and it did not rain on the land for three and a half years. Again he prayed, and the heavens gave rain, and the earth produced its crops. James says, you got trouble? Get to praying. You got trouble? Pray. The answer to the question of trouble is prayer. The good thing is we know that we have trouble. Prayer is the right thing to do when you're in trouble. Let's pray. Now, this morning when we finish the message, Pastor Chuck is going to be leading us in a short presentation to help us take next steps in the Make Room Project to expand the reach of Summit Church, how we can be involved in praying for Make Room. But amazingly, as God often does, our passage up to this point in James is on prayer. So here we are talking about prayer, and this is Prayer Sunday for the Make Room Project. So let's talk about prayer. Here's what prayer is. Prayer, first of all, is continual. 
Now watch this. Because trouble is ongoing, prayer should also be ongoing. First Thessalonians says it this way. It says, pray without ceasing. Pray without ceasing. What does that mean? There, I read the story this last week of a, of a rich man who had a son. And, and he, the rich man had promised his son an allowance. Every year he was going to give him an allowance, so much each year. And every year on the same day, he would give his son that entire amount. And after a while, it happened to dawn on him that the only time the father saw the son was on the day of allowance. And so the father changed his plan. He gave the son enough money for the day, and the next day the son would return. And from then on, the father saw his son every day. Get it? And many times that's the way God dealt with Israel. Your manna is here for today, but don't forget who you need to thank and praise and who you're dependent on. Remember that tomorrow. That's how God dealt with Israel, the nation, his, his people, and that's the way that God often deals with us. Prayer is to be continual. Ray Butterfield was the pastor at the church, the little missionary church in, in, in rural South Dakota when I was born. And so Ray Butterfield dedicated myself and my twin, he dedicated me and my twin sister. And so he was, he was a, a man who um, I, I learned um, about him really after he left because he, he left the church and, and I was still just little, I grew up, but I'd heard stories about Ray Butterfield. But he was an important pastor to our family. And, and in fact, um, in later years, um, at, a, at a special time of baptism, he was there and he baptized me. And, and so when um, I took that plunge, he was there. And so when I took the next plunge and got married, guess who did the officiating? Brother Ray Butterfield. He, he was a soft-spoken giant of a faith pastor. But the, one of the things that I remember most about him and have heard stories um, told about that and then listened and watched for myself in later years, that he would pick up his prayers where he left off he continued on praying. He would start his prayer, and now God, and then he would begin to pray, praying without ceasing. Pray when you go to bed. You know, I used to feel, I used to feel bad about falling asleep on, on God when I'd go to sleep. I'd be, sleep, I'd, I'd be sleepy, but I'm going to pray, and I, and I pray, and then, and then the next thing I know, okay, whew, I, I fell asleep, and I used to feel guilty about that. Not so much anymore. Pray when you wake up in the middle of the night. Does the Lord wake any of you up in the middle of the night to pray? Wake, when, when, pray when you get out of bed in the morning. Pray when you're in the shower. Pray when you're on the scale. <laughs> That's why you should pray before you eat. Pray while you drive. Keep your eyes open. Pray before a decision. Pray for yourself. Pray for others. Pray when you're in trouble. Pray when you're happy. You see, prayer is that slender nerve that moves the mighty arm of God's omnipotence. You want God involved? Pray. In short, prayer works. Now watch this. Listen. When I work, when I work, what I do gets done. 
But when I pray, what God does gets done. There are times when I'm in trouble and there's nothing I can do to get myself out of trouble. He said, when you have trouble, is anyone among you in trouble? You know, in those times when I can't get myself out of trouble, I need Jesus. I need Jesus. Say that together. Can you say that together? I need Jesus. I need Jesus. You know what I found out? Sometimes it's easier to say, he needs Jesus, or she needs Jesus. There's times we're upset with somebody else, and, you know, they're not driving right, they're not talking right, they're not living right, and you say, that person needs Jesus. And I'm giving some Jesus, right? Sometimes it's more difficult to say, I need Jesus. You know, there's times that trouble has us neck deep, and you say, Jesus, you've got to fix this, or we are kaput. It's a good old word I heard when I was a kid. Something didn't run. It was kaput. It was dead. Dead in the water. Stories told about uh, D.L. Moody on a trip across the Atlantic. This whole idea of praying continually. Fire broke out on the ship, and he was helping the crew and other volunteers to put out the fire that was raging in the hull of the ship. And a friend said to Moody as they stood in the bucket line, so let's go to the other end of the ship and pray. And Moody, the common sense evangelist, said, no way, we're going to stand right here and pass buckets and pray, um, you know, this whole time. You can pray whenever. Prayer and action go together. James would have loved that answer. Here's what you need to know. Prayer is a door to heaven. Prayer is a door to heaven. It opens up the throne room of Jesus. You get a hearing before the builder of the universe and the king of kings and the Lord of lords. And the door, prayer opens that door, and, and you walk into the throne room, into the boldly approaching the throne of grace, and Father God, and Jesus, and the presence of God, the Spirit of God is there. I can just see them edging forward on their seat, waiting to hear what it is that you're about to ask in this throne of grace. Prayer is the door to heaven, but here's a key when it comes to prayer. Prayer is the door to heaven. Faith unlocks that door. You see down the way in this text that prayers offered in faith are effective. The prayers of a righteous man are powerful and effective. God hears your words, and he answers according to your faith. Let me clarify something here. Prayer is continual, and it ought to be ongoing. And too often, what I am tempted toward in my own life and tempted and, and, and often... Um, can I say, treated to in the world is not continual prayer, but continual complaint. It's two different things. Instead of talking to others, talk to God. Instead of laying your burdens on others, lay your burdens on Jesus. It's continual. Notice this, it's confidential. It, it's personal. Um, do you see it just in a, in a word there? Is anyone among you in trouble? Call your friends to pray. Is that what it says? The first verse? Oh, we get to the corporate part later, but right now it's confidential. No, let them pray. The person who has a need. It's, it's private. It's personal. Let them pray. You pray. 
Who's praying? The person who's in trouble. Pray for yourself. God hears prayers. Here's another key to unlock prayer in your life. The only prayer that God has obligated himself to hear from an unbeliever is the prayer of confession of sin and acceptance of grace by faith. There are times that I see uh, issues happening in our world and there's this community call to pray and and I love it when Christians come together and pray and, and, and when we gather and we pray, um, God hears those prayers. The effectiveness of a prayer, it, it talks about righteous prayer. It, it, someone who doesn't have faith, who are they praying to? Um, is it hope against hope? What is it? One of the prayers that God has obligated himself to answer every time is the prayer of faith. To say, so a person who, who is not a believer, and you say, listen, I'm praying for you know, the, the raging fires in, that are sweeping through Texas. Okay, good. But how connected is that to, um, how, how connected is that nerve to the strong arm of God's omnipotence? When a Christian prays that, it's a completely different thing. But as, as an unbeliever, one of the prayers that God is always ready to answer is, forgive me, save me by your grace. I receive, I receive your grace by faith. That is a prayer that God will always hear and answer. And then once that happens, the whole idea of prayer is, is just absolutely unleashed after that. God may answer your prayer for other things before you're saved, but after a prayer of confession and repentance and faith in God's saving grace, then prayers of the righteous availeth much. So pray for yourself. So how do you pray? Matthew 6 reminds us, when you pray, go into your room, close the door, pray to your Father who is unseen, then your Father who sees what is done in secret will reward you. Uh, the, the warning there is against standing up and praying like the, you know, the, the religious folks did so that other people could see them and be impressed by their prayers. He said, you've already received your reward. But it's confidential. There's, it's personal. There's an obligation to pray for yourself. Call on Jesus. It's the opportunity. Prayer is the opportunity to bring Jesus into the situation, not as a last resort, but as a primary importance in the beginning. Get God involved in your situation. Or better yet, pray to find out what God is doing and get involved with that. And then he says this. Well, maybe you don't have trouble right now. You see what he says? Is anyone happy? Let them sing songs of praise. So I love this simple acrostic that I have used for many years. It's helped me. There have been times where I've been stuck. How do I pray? Um, I use the little axe acrostic, A-C-T-S, axe. I could remember that. That in my prayer there was some part of adoration that I would spend time praying when I prayed to God. He says, it's not, see, as a parent, when a kid comes to you and say, listen, you know, I need my milk. But if, if, if a child walks up to a parent and grabs their leg, you know, and, and loves on them and, and says, you know, you know, mommy, you're the best mommy in the world. And daddy, you're the best daddy in the world. And I love you so much. I mean, you can't get enough milk to that kid. I mean, by the gallons, you'd hand, you'd hand milk to that kid. God's a person. He's not an it. And so this prayers of adoration. Another one is confession. Again, when we have a clear conscience before God, I don't want anything hindering my prayers. Prayers of confession. 
prayers of thanksgiving. Here's what he's talking about. Is anyone happy? Let them sing songs of praise. In our, in our prayer, we're giving thanks to God. I love the S part of the Acts prayer. It's simply this, supplication, prayers to God to intervene. Maybe for yourself, maybe for others. God, intervene. Watch this. James has the same advice for people who are in trouble or those who are happy. He says in both cases, tell it to the Lord. Tell it to the Lord. Those two commands probably could be interchanged. One commentator said those, those would be just as well interpreted um, you know, or, or reversed. People with trouble could sing. Those who are happy could pray. Joshua says this, one man of you puts to flight a thousand since it is the Lord who fights for you just as he promised. You see, by yourself, you can put together, you, you, can, you can chase off a thousand. How? Since it's the Lord who's fighting for you. Prayer. So, in our list so far, we know that, I'm going to put the list up, and, and the next one is corporate, but it's continual. It's, it's continuing to prayer. It's 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 confidential, it's personal, and we just learned from Scripture that one man can put a thousand to flight. Why? Because God is in it. Now watch this. It's also corporate. Um, he goes right back. He's talking about the sick, and then the happy, and then he goes, well, is anyone among you sick? He's get some help to pray. You keep on praying because that's what people who have trouble do is pray. And then there's special times when you need help to pray. Or another way to look at this is to call for times of corporate prayer. Times when I've come to the end of my ability to pray for myself and need help. I need people praying for me. Have you ever come to the place where it was nigh, near and nigh unto impossible to pray for yourself? You'd, you'd been faithful in prayer. You knew what it was in the dark night of the soul to pray, and you had prayed. And you had prayed, and then you came maybe to a point of tears, and when the tears ran out and there were no more words, it was groanings. There's times heavy sighs and agonizing in prayer, and you say, I need people to help pray with me. The hesitancy, this whole idea of corporate prayer, the hesitancy of people to ask for or to seek prayer from others in the church is a true mystery to me. Ecclesiastes says it this way, two are better than one because they have good return for their labor. If either of them falls down, one can help the other up, but pity the one who falls and has no one to help him up. Also, if two lie down, they will keep warm. But how can one keep warm alone? Though one may be overpowered, two can defend themselves. A cord of three strands is not quickly broken. I love this in, in Deuteronomy. Um, we just learned earlier this idea of corporate prayer, how important that is, that you can put a thousand to flight. Why? Because God is in it. But watch this. Deuteronomy 32 says, How could one man chase a thousand, or two put ten thousand to flight, unless their rock had sold them unless the Lord had given them up. Indeed, God is involved in that process. So if you can put one, one can put a thousand to flight and two ten thousand to flight, do you see the importance of corporate prayer? I don't know why it says to do it the way he says to do it. I know it says do it. Call the elders. Again, notice the initiative is on the person who is sick. Anoint them with oil. Now, it doesn't mean don't go see a doctor. This scripture does not prohibit that. In fact, the implication of oil in scripture often has two 
significant meanings. One is the anointing and the presence and the power of God's Holy Spirit, and oil also represents the, a healing balm, and um, indeed that implication is here as well. The, the, the fact of the implication of oil is often referenced in seeking medical help. It's not either or, it's both and. You don't limit your faith when you go to a doctor, but instead of just medicine, through prayer, seek God for help and, and, and health and healing, and, and Scripture says the Lord will raise him up. There again, I, I love James's common sense approach to this. You don't throw your faith out the door when you make a doctor's appointment. You're doing what you're, there's, there's an the application of the medicinal side of oil, but neither do you throw out the fact that there are things that are beyond even the reach of modern medicine, that God does step in and he heals. Many have wondered if James guarantees healing here for the sick who were prayer, prayed for in faith. In the Christian continuum, there are people all along that spectrum, I'm sure. Some interpret this as a reference to the ultimate resurrection. Some would say, well, indeed, we'll all be healed someday completely, but it, it may take the resurrection, a new body that we have that's fit for eternity. Um, the, the reference to sins being forgiven adds to the idea that James is considering a spiritual work here and healing, not only a physical healing. Again, I believe both. We ultimately will be healed at the great resurrection. We get a new body, but I believe God still heals in the here and now. But I will also say this, I'm not God, and I don't know. I can't heal. I, don't, I ask God to heal, and I have to leave it in his hands, and sometimes he does. Those things are hidden in the heart and the mind of God. Why? He sometimes does an amazing healing before your eyes, and other times he doesn't. But I will tell you this, we come with humble confidence that they will be healed, and we leave the matter up to God. Now, I want you to notice the connection here between prayers of confession. Mutual prayer and confession brings both healing physically and spiritually. Prayers of confession remove hindrances from the work of the Holy Spirit. Why would we confess sins? Because we don't want anything to hinder the work of God in our lives. We don't want anything to hinder the God's Holy Spirit. The prayers of a righteous man availeth much. Effective prayer is also fervent prayer. Fervent not because we have to convince God or somehow persuade him, but, or, or anything like that, but when we are in fervent prayer, one of the things that I have noticed is the fervency of God's heart becomes our heart. And we're, when we begin praying the heart of God, and we're in tune with that, Father God answers that prayer uh, effectively. It was said that the prayers of John Knox were more dreaded by Mary of Scots than the armies of Philip. Effective prayer. This past week I read about the leaders of the Clapham sect of British social reformers. Um, men, um, you may not have rem remember that sect, but you would remember the name William Wilberforce. He daily gave himself to three hours a day of prayer. Every day, three hours a day. And he organized Christians throughout the country to unite in special prayer before, especially before critical debates before Parliament. William Temple was one of those as well, and 
he was being criticized. And he replied to one of his critics who regarded answered prayer as no more than coincidence. Answered prayer, it's no more than coincidence. To which William Temple said this, well, look, when I pray, coincidences happen, and when they don't, and when I don't, they don't. I want you to notice one more thing, and I love this part, and this is important for us to understand. Elijah was a human being, even as we are. He prayed earnestly that it would not rain. It did not rain on the land for three and a half years. Again, he prayed, and the heavens gave rain, and the earth produced its crops. Elijah. You remember Elijah the prophet? Big dog. Elijah the prophet, you know, um, whisked away on a chariot of fire. Didn't experience death. Um, uh, the, the amazing thing, I mean, think about Elijah. Remember the, the, the cook-off on Mount Carmel where they, you know, you, you bring fire, I'll bring fire. And he, the prophets of Baal are, are, are busy dancing around. He's taunting them. By the way, uh, social media, media of any kind would not have appreciated, you know, our friend Elijah. Because not only did he, 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 he set up a, uh, a contest, what he said was, let's see what you got. And so all the prophets of Baal came, and remember they did their, they made their sacrifice, and they started to dance around, cut themselves, and, and Elijah, Elijah is, is on the other side saying, um, try a little harder, dance a little faster, maybe turn up the music. What's going on over there? Any fire? Don't smell anything. What's happening? What's happening? At some point, he says, I think your God's in the latrine. Is he sleeping? Or is he going to the bathroom? Can he hear you? Yell louder. Cut yourself some more. Talk about taunting. That wouldn't play well, would it, in today's media? Eh, it's maybe a little unconventional. You know the story. Nothing happened. Elijah says, get out of my way. And he prepares an, a sacrifice, and he pours water on it. Just a little bit of drama. He pours water on this thing. More. Get more water. He floods the thing out. He calls from heaven. Fire falls and it consumes the sacrifice. Licks up all the water in the trenches. Boy, there's no question about the power of Elijah. In fact, media wouldn't have liked this either. But when that was all done, he chased down the prophets of Baal and he killed them. I mean, not with words. He killed him. Kind of like when uh, Nehemiah was building the wall and he had all these distractors. Oh, they were bugging him all the time. Remember Sam Ballot and those guys? And at the end of that thing, they got the wall built. It says, and they built the wall because the people had a mind and a heart to work. They had a sword in one hand because they were fighting the enemies on the wall and they had a trowel in the other. And they put... They, they put the family in charge of the place where the, their family lived inside that, that, that wall and where their family was to protect their family, the, that's where they built the wall. When you use great discernment at this point and keep on moving, not talk about the wall and the safety of a wall or the security of... And when it was done... Do you know what Nehemiah did to all his distractors? He lined them up in a line, and he pulled their beards out. 
Good for them, they didn't lose their heads, just lost their shave, you know. Messed up their beards. That didn't. You think about some of these guys, they're amazing. Elijah was one of those. You think, oh, of course, when Elijah prays, things happen. Why? Man of God, prophet. Everything he speaks is true. Read your Bible. Elijah, talking about the same Elijah here, was a human being, even as we are. Get it? So, oh, that was Elijah. No, that was a human being just like we are. You can be effective in prayer. When you ask God, when you go to God, and, and he sees you coming, and you're boldly approaching the throne of grace, he goes, listen, here comes my child, just like Elijah. It's not that somehow you, you have superhuman power because you, you've written a book of the Bible. It's because you're a human being, and we're connected to a, a holy God. Notice the effectiveness of prayer is not because Elijah was so great. He wasn't. He was human like us. But his prayer was so great because his God was so great, and that is our God. Elijah's heart was in tune with God's heart, and that made everything a majority. Notice again the earnest prayer, but from a man with a nature like ours, that being true, then we too can be people of power, the power of prayer, just like he was. My guess is that there are people sitting in this room today that could not escape the powerful prayer of a grandmother or a mother who, because they prayed fervently, continually, <laughs> confidentially, corporately, as a common person, that because they prayed for you, you now know Jesus Christ is your personal Savior. Can I encourage someone this morning who's praying for a lost loved one or someone in great need to keep on praying continually, confidentially? Don't be afraid to share those burdens and requests corporately. And know that by the power of God, when you, through prayer, boldly approach the throne of grace, God can, does hear, can and will move on your behalf. Prayer. And so as a church, how is God calling us to pray in these days? Ask Pastor Chuck to come and give you a practical next step on ways that our church corporately, individually but corporately, have opportunities to pray. Listen to this, and then let's connect our faith with this whole idea of prayer. And as James has encouraged us to put our faith in shoe leather and work it out. Thank you for joining us for this message from the Summit Church Podcast. Again, if you have questions, visit us at summitniles.com. Now go and be the church in the world.